and welcome to Diversity Podcast, the special edition that is recorded here today in front of a live audience at the Global Cybos Conference in Sydney, Australia, kindly hosted by the Swift Institute that funds independent research, supports knowledge-led debate, and provides a forum where academics and financial practitioners can learn from each other. And therefore, this is the perfect episode because as regular listeners will know, in each episode, we seek to shine a light on positive progress, call out areas requiring further focus and offer plenty of ideas to help drive change. And today's discussion is all about securing the future of financial services through improved diversity. So allow me to tell you a little bit about our panelists. Our first panelist today is Ray Cooper. She is the Professor of Gender, Work and Employment Relations and Director of the Women, Work and Leadership Research Group at the University of Sydney. She is also Associate Dean of the University of Sydney Business School. And Ray undertakes research on many aspects of the world of work and has a keen interest in the experience of working women. At present, she is working on a major project exploring young women's present experiences at work and another study on women's experience in male-dominated occupations and professions such as women in investment management, women pilots and women in autos. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Ray Cooper. Hi, thank you very much. Our second guest today is Rosemary Stone. And Rosemary Stone was appointed Global Head of Human Resources at SWIFT and is focused on enabling business transformation through talent acquisition, people, culture, organisational development and performance management. Prior to this role, Rosemary was acting head of SWIFT's UK, Ireland and Nordics business with a responsibility for strategic client engagement and business development. And Rosemary has held many senior executive positions in multiple different locations across many different functions, which include marketing communications and SWIFT's customer security program. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Rosemary Stone. Thank you. And finally, our third guest today is Sam Turner, who is the head of inclusion and diversity for the Westpac Group. Sam has been with the Westpac for four years. Prior to her current role, she was the business manager for New South Wales Regional and ACT Retail Banking and has also held various senior positions at NAB, BHB and Deloitte. And we are particularly excited because this year, Sam was granted a Winston Churchill Fellowship to study cultural diversity in leadership. Please join me in welcoming Sam Turner. Thank you. So at the top of every show, uh, as we record the podcast, we always invite each of our panelists to just take one minute to uh, explain exactly what you're working on at the moment and talk about yourselves. Rosemary, let's start with you. Okay. The war on talent that's happening across the financial industry is, is a big focus for us. And it's certainly an area that I think CEOs should really care about. And it should be the thing that keeps them awake at night. I saw a recent uh, risk report from Gartner that identified talent shortages as among the top three risks uh, that all of our companies face in our sector right now. Um, so as we continue to grow, we simply need to take focus on that. And diversity, I think, can be one of the ways in which we help to solve, again, 
against that challenge. Um, certainly we can't afford to ignore the kind of best and the broadest talent pools that we have out there if we're really going to grow in the future and continue that trend within our industry. And that's the same for Swift as well. Uh, we also are in a phase of growth. We need to hire in new talent. We need to develop and grow talent within our organization. So we're certainly focusing on making sure that we address uh, unconscious bias in the way we uh, coach our hiring managers to be involved in the recruitment process. And then we've got a lot of initiatives going on within the company, both in terms of tracking and monitoring the development of women as they carry their careers through with us. Um, but also on the culture side, we have a great ambassador program across our business with people coming up with grassroots ideas in terms of how to drive diversity and serious kind of behavior change across our organization as well. Wonderful. They're and there's so on. much in there that we'll explore for sure in that. And, I, and I've been making notes while you've been talking, so we'll make sure we come back to some yeah. of that, which is, which is wonderful. Thank you. Let's move on to you, Sam. Uh, well, what are you focused on at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I'm very lucky and fortunate in that I get to live and breathe inclusion and diversity on a daily basis. So um, at Westpac Group, we hit 50% uh, women in leadership roles last year. So key focus is to obviously maintain um, that 50%, so that half-half, but also how we are um, attracting and retaining, retaining the current talent that we currently have, but also attracting new talent as well. Um, two other key things for uh, me, but also for the group are um, we launched a, a program for people on the autism spectrum um, this year. So growing out that particular program, we've started it as a pilot um, and we've done it quite differently to um, some of the more tech industry uh, sort of based programs. So building that out in the next 12 months um, and also a real focus on cultural diversity. So um, we know that in Australian organisations, but also worldwide, we have far few, um, far few uh, culturally diverse leaders. So um, what are some of the mechanisms and programs that we can do um, to create more inclusive environments and move people from, you know, culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds into leadership roles? Wonderful. Great. And, and the autism, actually, you're the first person I've come across. We do talk a lot on the podcast about the, the, the spectrum that is diversity and inclusion. And how wonderful to hear you're thinking about autism. Thank you very much indeed. Ray, let's come to you. So what, what do you, I mean, you, we, I talked in the introduction about two um, particular areas of research. Yeah, I'd love to yeah, hear yeah. more. Um, so two big projects at the moment, um, one of which is looking at uh, young women and the future of work. Um, so 16 to 40 year old women. Um, so young is anyone younger than me. Um, <laughs> and uh, looking at what their present experience is at work, um, what, what are they what's the material conditions, what are the, you know, what do they think about what's going on in terms of equality and a range of other things? Um, and then what do they project about their future of work? So what do they want? Uh, what do they fear? What do they think is going to happen in terms of automation and a range of other things like that? So that's a real exciting one. Uh, and we're also working on another project, which is looking at women working in what we're calling hyper-masculine occupations and professions, one of which is women working in investment management. Uh, and then there are there are others uh, across other areas in blue collar areas like autos, women auto repairs, uh, and also women who are pilots. Um, and really interesting comparisons across those. In my day job, when I'm not doing research, I run the degrees at the University of Sydney Business School. So I'm also looking at how we build in uh, inclusive leadership um, and diversity sort of awareness uh, for our students, uh, regardless of what they're studying, whether they want to work in finance or HR, to try to work out the ways in which we can build up the leadership capabilities for the future for our students. So, so, so well, let me let me just pick up on that because um, then clearly at the heart of your uh, your work with the students around the, the the business school side of things is is a, a starting premise of 
diversity clearly matters. Yes. Uh, so talk to us about your thoughts around Yeah, so I think typically the way that business schools, particularly in undergraduate education or basic master's education, has looked at delivering really technical content to our students. Uh, what we're trying to do at the University of Sydney Business School is to try to say, actually, in order to be a great leader in the future, you need to understand yourself. So it's about who am I? What is my leadership style? But we also need to understand who are others? Uh, what's their style? What are their interests? What are their needs? And how do we put that together um, in, our, in a team to, to lead to effective performance. So we think that actually is as important as some of the technical training um, that we might normally have given them in, in, a, in a core compulsory unit. So we have 1,500 students doing this subject every year. And, and let me say, I'm going to bring you in there because clearly yeah, the, the nature of your, of your, yeah, quite, but I'm also thinking about some, the fellowship that you, you're just, except the Winston Churchill. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Like. So, I mean, I think it's, it's incredibly um, poignant and particularly timely as well because one of the things that we rolled out this year was inclusive leadership training. So it's a, I guess, you know, a couple of years ago, unconscious bias was the thing and mm -hmm. everyone was focused on unconscious bias, whereas we're really, I guess, thinking about how do we shift that dial yeah. to more inclusive leadership? Um, and that includes, you know, everyone in the organisation, how do I create more inclusive teams? How do I be a more inclusive team member? Um, and so the more that we can do that actually at university, it's just going to be, you know, reinforced when they get into a business environment as opposed to, you know, that this is the first time that they've ever heard of unconscious bias or, or training. And, um, you know, the fellowship for me has is a great opportunity to actually really um, – figure out in the US and the UK in particular, um, what is it, what are some of the programs and mechanisms that are happening in those countries um, to move people from more culturally diverse backgrounds into those leadership roles? But underpinning that, what's the inclusive culture? So what's the inclusive leadership piece, um, you know, that's the enabler? Mm -hmm. and, and I think quite a lot about, um, you know, this, the essential, the barriers to progress. And, and clearly there's a there's a commercial imperative for why this matters. There's, there's a, a wonderful process of starting early so that it becomes sort of embedded in that but of course then the reality is that that talent walks into organizations and there are some barriers that exist and so so um Rosemary, let me bring you in there you know what do you see as being the major barriers yeah. to change i mean as uh, as as has been referred to i think leadership is an area that we need to continue to pay a lot of attention to because it has a role modeling effect through the whole of an organization um, and i read the rather depressing statistic i have to say in the ft a couple of weeks ago that when you look at succession plans for CEOs, 99% um, of succession plans still have men within the top three roles and don't include women in the top three contenders. And what we're also starting to see is that even when women break through that and they manage to become a CEO, at the end of their tenure, they tend to be replaced then by men. So this is, you know, something that's going to be a long-term um, journey, if you like, to try to, uh, to address through, through exactly the inclusion um, and the inclusive leadership uh, focus that you've referred to. Um, indeed, at SWIFT, we're also on that journey. Um, we've still got a way to go, clearly, but uh, right now we have about a third of our global leadership team who are women, which is progress for us. Very pleased our first female CFO is here at Cybos, and we also have some very inspiring board members, such as Emma Loftus, who's very senior in JP Morgan, Lisa Lansdowne-Higgins, who uh, is a strong champion of diversity from RBC, who are within our SWIFT community and represent us on our boards, which is definitely building the momentum. So, so let's, let's build on that a little bit further then, in terms of uh, the accelerating dynamics that could be brought in to, to drive change and, and looking ahead. And, and clearly, one of them is role modelling and, and actually uh, having, uh, having very strong uh, 
examples uh, at the boardroom table and, and thinking about overcoming some of those uh, mindsets of succession planning, as you were saying there. Um, let, let me ask uh, the other two, Sam and, and Ray, sort of any other thoughts around what would particularly accelerate the pace of change? Mm, so I think leadership, I think we're all agreeing, leadership is yeah. absolutely critical. Um, and I think it's not just leaders saying that they align with diversity. I think it's actually leaders putting their money where their mouth is, if you like, walking the walk, talking the talk. Mm. And so that means ensuring that we have the systems that actually support what we're saying. Um, so whether that's around uh, looking at how we value people, um, who we reward and for what sorts of behaviours. It's about looking at our, our policies and access to practices such as flexible working and whether that's gender equitable um, and whether, you know, people can work on a flexible basis, for example, when they have small children, whether they're men or women, and that they're still able to progress through their careers. Um, and I think uh, something that might be a disruptor and an accelerator is not just to have targets, which I think is very important, um, and not just to have the leadership that's you know puts its money where its mouth is, um, but literally puts its money where its mouth is. I think we need to actually start to look at ways in which we build into bonus, which I know is a very big part of the um, financial services industry and banking in general, um, is we start to look at the performance of people around diversity and inclusion and we make that part of what we're rewarding actually at the end of year financial um, mm. bonus. Yeah. And that's actually something that Atlassian do very well. So they've, yeah. they've literally just built yeah. in to reward, um, you know, their um, diversity. And, I mean, Westpac did this when we, we, we wouldn't have hit 50% women in leadership roles if it wasn't in all of our exec and senior leader scorecards. Mm -hmm. um, and it's funny mm -hmm. because, you know, people often said to me, well, you know, how did you get that to work? And it's like, well, generally bankers tend to quite like getting a bonus and quite like getting paid. So, um, But I think, um, you know, to your point, Julia, around, you know, the acceleration of change, it's, it's a relentless focus. You know, it's something that businesses and corporations and organisations, you can't afford to take your foot off the accelerator. Like there has to be a focus on it. And I would love to be able to sit up here and, you know, sort of be redundant in five years' time. But the reality is, is that as soon as you take your foot off the accelerator around diversity and inclusion, you, yeah. you, you do take a backward step. And mm -hmm. so I think it's also, it's that organisational focus, but it's also what are each and every one of your leaders doing to actually drive, you know, who do they mentor, who do they support? Um, but also who's who's in their team that's different to themselves. And, I mean, I think we're pretty good at promoting Anglo-Celtic women. Mm. Um, I think it's a whole different... Well, we're different, okay. We're okay. We're, okay. Um, <laughs> we're but, not great. But when you start looking at any type of intersection, mm. and it's not just cultural diversity, it's LGBT, it's women with a disability, it's, you know, people from, you know, non-traditional non backgrounds, mm -hmm. you know, even things like private school educated versus public school, you know, growing up in regional locations as opposed to CBD. So I think, you know, that acceleration of change needs to be about expanding our focus. It's not it's not one thing, it's everything. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's very easy as we sit here as four women uh, champions on a stage uh, to, get, to think about it through a gender lens, but but actually the intention is not. It's to go, certainly go much, yeah. much more broadly. Yeah. And I'm very interested in, in sort of one dynamic. It's wonderful to hear you talk about the, the scorecards and to talk about leadership is that it's the middle management layer that often people come back to and say that's almost kind of where one of the biggest sort of sticky points to change is necessarily and and, and I'm, I'm hesitant to come to you first Rosemary because I think it, the, the risk is it puts a lot on your shoulders to represent that for everybody but I am interested in kind of what are some of those dynamics that will drive change to shift middle management um mm -hmm. I'd, I'd say behaviours, it sounds like a very negative way of framing it, but if, you're, if you've always been led in a certain way and you've been managed in a certain way, of course you behave in a certain way. Mm. And that, that takes some courage 
actually to do something different. So, so I'm very interested in, in all your views. But, but Sam, let me come to you first of all. Um, yeah, look, I mean, I think, you know, and it's a question I generally tend to get asked, like, how do you move middle management to be more inclusive? And I think, um, again, it's one of those things that it's got to be a multifaceted approach. So one of the things that we've done is we've rolled out inclusive leadership training and not that not that a training program is going to be the panacea of inclusion. It's not like you do this 45-minute module and all of a sudden, you know, you're an inclusive leader. But I think a focus on tips and, you know, what do you say, what do you not say, what's a better way of saying this, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, but also getting people at to do a self-reflection, um, you know, getting people to do a self-assessment and think about what are the one or two things that they can do, mm-hmm. um, you know, as, as, a, as a manager and as a leader. But I also do think, you know, it, it does come back to that accountability piece and it does come back to, you know, middle managers have leaders. And so how are those leaders, you know, holding, you know, that particular cohort to account? Mm-hmm. And I also think there's got to be something in it for them. You know, we are, you know, we are human mm. after all and we do want to know that this is going to benefit me in some way. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they're a very squeezed group, right? So we mm-hmm. expect a lot of our middle managers. Um, so they, they have the pressure of managing staff, they have the pressure of managing up as well. Mm. Um, but I, th- and I think you're right, having a bit of a nuanced approach, which is looking at from, from their interests as well, what are they needing to achieve and for whom? And then how can we, I don't like the word incentivize, but how can we try to drive, mm-hmm. you know, some change and some behaviour through their interests, you know, around the sorts of things that um, reward them or, you know, or punish them, actually. Right. And yeah, I think it's we carrot need... and a stick, isn't right. it? Right. I so, think it's yes. a, everything. Everything yeah. about yeah. culture is carrot and stick, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And, and I want to, please. Yeah, I think the feedback is also very important that yeah. their team members are able to give regular feedback on their own experience within the team in the values of the managers, etc. We've certainly rolled out a kind of upward feedback uh, mechanisms to say that we can kind of check that regularly, which also creates a different kind of dialogue between the manager and their team as well. Right. And it also puts a bit of a sense check on it, doesn't it? Yeah. So, it's not just I say I'm, I'm an inclusive leader, <laughs> yeah. but actually if you're an inclusive What's leader, the then your team is going to say that they the have team. a different experience as a result yeah. of your behaviours. So, yeah. Yeah. And one of the things I'm always looking for is, you know, what are those kind of those realities, the undeniable truths that actually get people to sort of think maybe slightly differently. And one of the ones that, that I talk about quite a lot at the moment is about uh, ageing parents. And actually the reality, it doesn't matter whether you're male or female, whether you're middle manager, senior manager, but actually the reality is that a call may come. And thinking through, uh, actually, are, are there some examples of, or, for, or another one being example, the, the role of recruitment agencies and the way in which they present talent and look for talent as well. Um, you're all nodding along beautifully with me, which is always quite annoying because I, I don't like to talk to audience <laughs> who agree with me. But, but I would love to see if there are other things you've been thinking about in terms of how do you, how do you drive change and accelerate the pace of change. Should I come to you first? Uh, I think on our side, I definitely see it with recruitment agencies. You need to push back and actually say, come on, show me a better kind of short list of candidates Mm. than you're kind of automatically doing. So it does require some vigilance on that point. I think one of the areas I would like to focus a bit more on, which um, sort of speaks actually to my own experience a little bit, is that tapping into that returnee talent pool of women who've been in the industry and may have taken time off, can be men as well, for caring responsibilities, Mm -hmm. which could be children, could be older parents, but who you can kind of reconnect back into the market um, and they can have a second phase of career. Um, I did something very similar. I have three young daughters. Uh, when they were very small, uh, I took time out of the workplace and came back, which Swift enabled me to do that. But I would like to see a lot more of that happening. Mm-hmm. So. Fantastic. Uh, other thoughts? 
Yeah, look, I mean, I think to, it, with recruitment and with recruitment agencies, sometimes, unfortunately, that, that does drive the wrong behaviours in terms of you say, give me a bit, better shortlist and they'll just give you another three women who are not necessarily, you know, aligned to that particular role. So I think it's got to be built into SLAs. It's got to be built into your agreement with the recruitment agency. But I think it's also not just a focus on gender. So what recruitment agencies are you working with? For example, we work with Specialist Stern who um, recruit people on the spectrum. And so we know, particularly with the rise of the cybersecurity space, that we need people who think differently. Mm-hmm. And that's literally, you know, the, the, these amazingly beautiful people on the spectrum. Um, and so people who think differently. So how are you working with recruitment agencies that are not, maybe not your top five, that are maybe smaller in boutique, that are going to find you talent that, that would not otherwise be found? And, and it's all about the sort of technology angle when you talk about cy- uh, cyber there because, um, it, I mean, technology... Technology is all built on agile. Agile is all about diversity, which you have to have diversity of opinions and minds. You build it, you try to launch it, break it, test it, hone it, refine it, and and in the cycle. And around technology, a lot of technology teams completely get that. The question is whether where do we find the talents and and broaden the pools? I guess as well. Ray, let me no, come and, to you. And also, thoughts. I think there's a lot of conversation which sort of goes like this: in the technologically enabled areas of industry, then we that's when we're going to get to equality. But I think we've got to be a little bit careful with that because having had a little bit of a look at the stats on uh, fintech, for example, just in Australia, mm-hmm. I think we can see, I think it was, uh, you know, Silicon Valley is often referred to as a bit of a bro fest. I think we can see bits of, you know, fintech in Australia is very hyper male, actually, in terms of, and kind of um, particular uh, cultural groups as well, um, of a particular style of Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we have to look at not necessarily assuming. So the technology might enable some some uh, work towards achieving equality, but it won't necessarily unless we design it in. Mm. Um, I think that's important. So one thing I wanted to raise as well is about the issue, and this is something I'm coming up with a lot in my research, is the issue of backlash. Um, so we're having, you know, we can set targets. We're both smiling and nodding. Set targets. And some people are doing some really interesting things about saying, okay, we're going to set a target for 40% women, 40% men, and then let's work out what we do with the extra 20%. Maths is not my strong suit. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, and then talking about, well, what's... Because what that allows you to do is to say, actually, we have a place for men here and also we can value a whole bunch of other diversities of intersectional arrangements of, you know, uh, women or men of culturally diverse heritage. Um, but I think we do... Or other diversities. Um, but I think we really do need to start to deal with the backlash which is going on in organisations around people feeling um, that if they're not of a particular cultural group which is seen to be being promoted, um, that they feel quite, um, uh, I want to say, emasculated uh, Mm -hmm. or they feel like they're being left out or ignored. Mm -hmm. Um, And what, what do we do about that? And we're coming across a lot, a lot of organisations who have, um, the, the risk is going to sound quite trite, but it's incredibly important around Men Matters campaigns and the mm. intersectionality between different groups. Yeah. Because, I mean, this is all about diversity and inclusion. So the yeah. risk, a terrible outcome would be to, to find a way actually isolating yeah. people as yes, well. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And I think we, we kind of increase um, our ability to kind of create opportunities though if we kind of enable women to potentially retrain into new areas you mentioned cyber security which is traditionally a kind of more male dominated uh, part of part of the industry we've got a scheme going at the moment which is actually enabling women to uh, retrain and convert to a career in cyber security for the future and get certified even if they don't have a technical background Mm -hmm. which matches a big skill shortage that we have but it also then means that there's not a backlash 
flash that this is a kind of, you know, tokenistic uh, yeah. measure because, you know, there's uh, diversity in, in the talent pool in those different yeah, yeah. domains. Interesting. Yeah. And I think this is the, um, and I mean, we will talk about this when we do a future of work panel around this, but um, it's, it's also, it's, the future of work and the changing nature of work is such a great opportunity because we're reskilling and, and and changing the capabilities of our workforce. And so making sure that those whatever those programs happen to be around reskilling and around recapability, that they are, you know, um, that they are open to, you know, both genders and that there there is, I guess, an opportunity for that less technical skill and more of um, you know, whatever it is that we happen to be moving to mm -hmm. in the future. But I also think that's that's a piece where policy does actually play quite a significant role. So when you're talking about things like parental leave and carer's leave, making sure that your whole workforce knows that that's open to them. So, you know, we did a campaign not long ago with we had a bunch of our men who had taken the full 13 weeks parental leave and sharing their stories. Mm -hmm. So, and then that's, you know, that's inclusive of our, of our men who want to be primary carers for, you know, the first little while of so, so we're coming to the last, uh, it's amazing how the time flies, actually. Yeah, right. Coming to the last few minutes of, of the uh, podcast. I, I'm very keen to kind of think, what are you, uh, what are you optimistic about? Because the, well, I think what, what is wonderful is we're having this discussion, you know, whether actually we're doing it on the podcast, which will go out globally. Um, and I'm very keen to hear what you're optimistic about. So, so, Rosemary, let me start with you. Okay. I definitely am a glass half full, uh, full person on this. I mean, I think we've seen from all of the debates so far at Cybos that we're really in a period of transformation as an, as an industry. And we have an opportunity now to shake off some of the old stereotypes. And, you know, the people side is more important than ever before because we heard the technology is one piece, but the human capital side becomes ever more critical. So we can kind of, as we transform, we make diversity part of that transformation. I think there's a lot to be excited about. Wonderful. Great. Sam? For me, it's very much, I guess, this is, a, this is becoming a global focus. So when you look at roles, you know, particularly in the States and in the UK around directors of inclusion and, you know, chief equality officers at, you know, um, other organisations, this is becoming a global focus. Um, and, you know, so that's quite, that's quite heartening. But also the other piece is around, um, you know, our younger generation. Equality is an imperative. Yeah, absolutely. It's not an optional accessory. So for me, those two things combined. Yeah, and I'll just hitch off the back of Sam there. So I'm lucky enough to work with young people most of my day um, in my research and also in my teaching and governance and leadership at the university. And this new generation is almost going to make uh, our conversations obsolete because they expect equality and they're going to demand it in their careers. Um, and they just won't put up with anything else. So in a way, we just need to open the doors and make way for them. Fabulous. It's been a most wonderful conversation. Thank you very much indeed. What I'm now going to do is invite this incredible audience here at the Swift Institute room at Cybos in Sydney to please join me in thanking our panel. Thank you. This episode of Diversity Podcast was recorded live at Cybos Sydney on October 22nd, 2018. Thanks to Kirsten Taylor-Fry and the production team from gpj.com for recording the event. You can find all previous episodes of Diversity Podcast on our website, www.diversitypodcast.com, and that's diversity with a C, not an S. You can also find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Bright Talk, and the Women's Radio Station, or wherever else you download your podcasts. Thanks for listening.